Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads. Uh, it's great to have the high school back with us this morning. Um, a lot of good, good stuff. And what a gorgeous day. I mean, couldn't be any better. Um, one thing I want to call your attention to, if you would, take out your programs. There's a little section, a little piece of paper that says dig at the top. If you'd pull that out for just a moment. Um, it's something we're really, really excited about here at Northgate um, is that this fall we are launching a brand new um, children's program called Dig, Digging Into God. And Jesus is the jewel. Jesus is the treasure that we're looking for. And at each grade level, they're going to learn more and more about what that looks like. And uh, it's a great, great program. Um, and we're really excited about it. Um, but there's a price tag with it, as there is with most things. And um, what the things that we did was we got some of our leadership together about three weeks ago and just kind of shared the vision for this thing and let people know um, what this was all about and what we were planning to do. Um, the price tag that we have estimated is about $20,000, um, which we don't have in our budget right now. Most of you know we have a very, very um, bare-bones budget, and we're operating barely on that. Um, so it's something that we needed to do uh, above and beyond. And what we did was we shared that with the le- some of the leadership of the church and um, asked them to go and pray a simple prayer, Lord, what part do you want me to play in making this a reality? And um, out of that came um, pledges and giving um, almost up to $12,000 now, which we are very excited about. That's very, very cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that deserves it. Absolutely. Um, so now we're going to ask the rest of the church family um, to take up this thing. It's, it's very exciting. There's a lot of elements to it. Um, the first is a better and more secure check-in system to make sure that our, that our children are safe, that guests who come and bring their children for the first time feel comfortable um, leaving them here. Um, it's going to involve brand new curriculum um, that's, that's um, actually a work in progress, and uh, we're able to get in on that. Um, there is a renovation of all of our rooms. There's training and development and all of that for our, um, our children's workers. And so the whole price tag is about $20,000 that we don't have in our budget. So we're asking people to just simply make that same prayer that we asked of our leadership, make it your prayer. Um, above and beyond your regular giving, um, which you're already tithing, what you're already giving now on a regular basis, above and beyond that, just, just pray a simple prayer. This is what we've always done. We've just asked people, you, you settle this between you and God. But take the time to pray, Lord, what part do you want me to play in making this a reality? And then if you would, use this um, to just let us know. It's a four-month deal. We're launching it in September. Um, and so the months of June, July, August, and into September is, is where we're trying to raise all of the funds to be able to make it a reality. And, um, and so you might be able to do just a certain amount each month if it's a monthly thing for June, July, August, September. Um, if you can do a one-time gift, whatever it is, whatever God lays on your heart, um, if you would just... Let us know so we can plan accordingly and know how to uh, budget for the whole project. Um, just use this thing. Take it home as a reminder. Um, pray over that. Whatever God leads you to do, um, just fill that in. It's pretty self-explanatory. If you've got questions, you can call the church office. Um, and then if you would just either mail this back to the church office or you can stick it in one of the offering boxes here um, after next Sunday service. Um, we would really like to get all of this um, 
in place and finalized uh, by the end of June so we can get moving on, on all of these things because uh, we have a very, very aggressive timeline to make this happen. So uh, make that your prayer, and whatever God leads you to do, um, just be obedient to Him. So uh, let's pray over this whole thing. And uh, not just for our children's ministry, but our middle schoolers are away at camp this week. We want to pray for them. High schoolers just got back from camp, and we just want to pray for all the things that God's doing among us. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the way that you work in your people. Thank you, Lord, for this church family who so graciously uh, and generously gives to your work. And um, for the things that are ahead of us that we're excited about, the, the future that you have for us after much prayer, Lord, we pray for your blessing and your, your hand to be in this whole thing. And that you would guide your people clearly as we give and um, that you would use these things, use these tools, Lord, to reach kids um, and, in, and, and instill in their life a love for you and know that you love them. And I pray, Lord, for our middle schoolers as they're away at camp this week, that you would move in that camp and that you would touch lives and, and, and just re-energize them and, and bring kids to know you more deeply. And uh, thank you for keeping our high schoolers safe and having them back with us. And pray your continued work in their life now, back from camp, getting back into the real world, that you would guide them in all of this. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Uh, Back in 1974, a cardiologist by the name of Meyer Friedman, uh, along with an associate of his, uh, Ray Rosenman, published a book. And the title of the book was Type A Behavior and Your Heart. Um, Those are the guys that that kind of coined that term, type A's. Um, And those of you who are type A's, you know who you are, okay? And and let me tell you, as one, okay, secretly, even though we know it's not good for us, Secretly, we harbor a little bit of pride about it, and the rest of you are slackers, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. Um, and, and the other thing that came along with that, by the way, is they, 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 um, they coined another term called hurry sickness, and they defined it this way. Hurry sickness is a continuous struggle in an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined, from other persons. Now that sounds really clinical. So what they did was actually came up with, here are some of the symptoms. So if you know you suffer from, from hurry sickness, here's how you can tell. Um, there's a couple of them. Uh, here's one of them. Uh, at a stoplight, as you roll up to a stoplight, and there's two lanes, and one car in each lane, and you determine which lane you choose to pick based on the make and model of that car as to which one you think would leave fastest from the line, okay? That's a symptom of hurry sickness, um, if you use the microwave and then you stand there and count the seconds, okay, that's, that's a symptom of hurry sickness. In fact, if you punch in 88 seconds because it's only one button you got to push and 90 takes two, okay, that's a symptom of hurry sickness. Uh, if you find yourself rushing to be first in line, even when it doesn't matter, like trying to be the first off the airplane only to stand at baggage claim for the longest time, okay? That's a symptom of hurry sickness. Um, at a grocery store, if you go to the checkout and, and you, you judge between which line you go based on the number of people in each line and the number of items in each cart, that's a symptom of hurry sickness. And if you're really sick, if you are really sick, what you do is you pick the alternative you, the alternate you that gets in the other line, and you see who gets through the check stand first, 
you know? And if you get through first, your day is made because you won, okay? And, and if, you, if you didn't, if he got through before you did, you are bummed for the rest of the day, okay? That's hurry sickness. Um, and I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, okay? But I would venture to guess that most, if not all of us here this morning, would, if we were honest with ourselves and honest with each other, say, most of us, too often, we find ourselves in way too much of a hurry. That the pace of our life is too fast. That we feel stressed and we could use some rest. Now, I'm not going to ask for the show of hands, but I bet there's a good number of us that feel exactly that way this morning. And that is not how God intended you to live. God's design for your life was a far different different life than the one you're living right now. And so as we're starting this series, particularly as heading into summer, which tends to be kind of a downtime, a time we kind of step back from the pace of life, take some vacation, take some time off, okay? What I'd like us to do through this summer, especially at the beginning end of it, is just talk about this idea of renewal and rest. And, and, and instead of just taking a vacation and just getting some time off and resting, make this summer a time of real renewal, and the best time to start that would be here during the summertime. Um, and I want to just use this morning just a very familiar, very familiar psalm. Um, and only the first three verses of it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. It's probably the most well-known of all of the psalms uh, and, and probably the most loved. And very often, it's read at funerals, which is kind of strange because this is not a psalm about death. It's a psalm about another way to live. And you don't want to hear it and think about it as a reality when you're dead, okay? It's a way of living. It's a choice that you can make. It's living as if I really have a shepherd who cares for me. So we're going to look at this just kind of line by line this morning um, and, and just talk about living as if I had a shepherd and the choices that you can make and that's a, when that's a reality. And um, I've done a lot of research this week. I've done more research on sheep. I know more about sheep than I ever thought I would ever want to know, okay? Um, but there's a couple of really great resources if you want to uh, learn a little bit more about this. One is a book writ- written by a guy named Philip Keller and the title, he's a shepherd. And he actually wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Um, Another book that I found, uh, which is really good, written by a a lady named Margaret Feinberg. Um, It's called Scouting the Divine. And just looking at at, um, shepherds, um, at um, uh, wine, um, vineyards, and all of that kind of stuff. Just looking at nature and how the kingdom of God is described and how that relates to our lives. And then another one I found online. Um, the guy's name is Warren Gill, and he is a professor of animal husbandry at the University of Tennessee. A great lengthy piece he's written on sheep, um, which was fascinating to me. So we're going to talk a little bit about sheep this morning and shepherds, and particularly for you, living as if you had a shepherd. Some of the choices that you can make about that. One of them is this. When the Lord's my shepherd, I can choose a life of contentment instead of anxious worry. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be 
in want. Now, David writes, he was a shepherd. He knows about shepherding. He knows about sheep. And so these words are very, very important. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The choice here, the choice is to put my trust into someone who is far greater than me and who really cares about me. The alternative to this, if you choose not to do that, the alternate choice is one of worry. It's living as if everything rests on my shoulders, that life becomes a burden, that it is all up to me. And the thing is that I can't do it, so I worry. I worry about things that are way beyond my control, things I have no no way of ever being able to control. But I worry. I worry about so many things. I worry about my job and if I'll have a job. And if I don't have a job, I worry about getting a job. I worry about money. I worry about marriage, my marriage. If I'm not married, I I worry about getting married. I worry about kids. I worry about money. I worry about school, my GPA, what classes I'm going to get. I worry about all those things. I worry about money. (laughs) It's a pattern here. I worry about my future and what that will hold for me. I I worry about my health and if I'll be healthy and, and what's that lump on my shoulder and all those kinds of things. And I worry about money. (laughs) because that's mostly what we worry about we worry about these things as if our worrying is going to make a difference and it does not how many here worry how many have found it to be a very constructive way to uh, address your needs okay (laughs) it just doesn't work it doesn't happen and one of the biggest contributors to our worry is this idea of want i want David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It's it's kind of a technical term. It has to do with with a life that is driven by unfulfilled desire. That that's what drives my life. The chronic discontent that comes with that. Um, I never have enough. I'm always wanting more. Whatever I have, I need something more. I need more of it. Whatever it is. Very interesting thing. Um, Gil writes about sheep. He says, sheep are basically a stomach on four legs. <laughs> they, they spend most of their time, more than any other activity, eating. They will eat up to 10 hours a day. He writes this, Sheep devote more time to eating than any other behavioral activity. Up to 10 hours a day, tending to select diets based upon a variety of factors, with nutritional value being of little or no importance to the sheep in the selection process. Then he goes on, he writes this, they can become overly fat simply because they consume more than is needed to meet their nutritional requirements. Aren't you glad people aren't like sheep? (laughs) That's how sheep operate. If it's there, they will eat it. (laughs) And it doesn't matter whether they need it or not. If it's there, they will eat it. Up to 10, they spend more time at that than anything else. And if that is not a description of our culture, I don't know what is. You can choose something different. You can choose that trust. You can choose contentment. See, contentment is a settled conviction that my life is in God's hands and everything's going to be well. Everything's going to be okay. It's in His hands. So much of it is out of my hands Anyway, Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. 
He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So often that's the description that God uses for his, Him and His people. This whole idea of realizing that God is God, and I am not. And He is in far better control than I can ever be. And He knows what is far best for me than I will ever be able to determine. And if my life is in His hands, I will be taken care of. So another thing sheep do, as they eat, the second most, um, uh, use most of their time, uh, besides eating, is they chew the cud. Um, it's called ruminating. It's a word we use to try, talk about um, thinking deeply on things. And here's the antidote to worry. Instead of worrying about all those other things, ruminate. Think deeply. Just on this one psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And just think about what that means. Maybe word by word. The Lord. God. Creator of the universe. Sustainer of all things. Life giver. The Lord is. Not in theory. Not some possibility. He is my. For some reason. No lonely to him. This creator of the universe wants to be in a relationship with me. He is my shepherd who cares for and watches over and protects me. Jesus used this same term to describe his relationship. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He said, you... If you have any doubt about God being a good shepherd, look at what I have done. Look at what I am doing. I lay down my life for the sheep. Think about that. And if you put your life in his hands, then trust in that. He is God who loves you and cares for you, and he will provide what you need. And sometimes it doesn't look like it, and sometimes it just gets really, really tough. But God will care for you, his sheep. And maybe you've never made him your shepherd. Maybe this morning, maybe that, that, that's the decision you need to make. Just put your life in his hands. Just say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your guidance. I need your life. I need this life you want for me. And you could do that this morning. But it comes when you do that to living then with a sense of contentment and, and gratitude and trust. And when the Lord is my shepherd, I can choose a life of contentment instead of worry. And I can choose a life of rest instead of a life of frantic activity. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The choice here is to let go of control. It's an act of surrender. Very interesting wording. He makes me lie down. Because I don't want to lie down. <laughs> I want to keep going. I got places to go. People see things to do, you know? In fact, we're, 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 we're kind of schizophrenic on this whole thing because we need some rest and we really want to rest, but we don't want to lie down. <laughs> we just want to be renewed as we rush around. There's a reason why God made it a commandment. It's the fourth commandment. There is a day called the Sabbath, and on that day you shall cease from your labors. You will Rest. And Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. Was made for women. Was made for you. 
because you need rest. It was a commandment, not a suggestion, because it's a necessity. See, I want control, and if I think by my ceaseless activity, I can get the upper hand, that somehow I can be in control, then that's why I keep running. But the truth of the matter is, I want to be in control, but I'm not. I am not in control of my circumstances. I cannot control people. I want to. I want to control the people in my life. I want them to act the way I want them to act. But I have no control over them. Trust me, riding on the bumper of the car in front of you will not make him go any faster. Fuming in the checkout line will not make that checker any faster. You don't have control over them. And you certainly cannot control outcomes. These things are all out of your control anyway. And the frustration and this pace of life comes from trying to keep control. And it's just an illusion. We have no control. Look at this next verse, Psalm 127. In vain you rise up early and stay up late. Toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now, the idea here is the thinking that if I get up earlier, or if I stay up later, if I run faster, if I work harder, if I put more into it, then I will gain control. And he says, That's all in vain, because you have no control. Instead, rest. For he gives rest to the weary. There is a better, another way to live. To live as though life is a gift, not a contest. Life is a gift, not an assignment, not a burden. It is a gift that comes to us every day. Scripture says his mercies are new every morning. That each day comes to us as a gift. It's really interesting. There's been some um, uh, studies done by one, a guy named Juan Carlos uh, Lerman at the University of Arizona looking at rhythms and, and um, the biological clock of people. Not, not that biological clock, okay? Just the rhythm of life. And, and he, he says, there's a lot of indications that our bodies function on a 25-hour cycle. And we only have 24 hours in the day. That's why you're always looking for that extra hour, <laughs> But he writes this. He says, there's a biological need for rest. The human biological clock operates on a 25-hour cycle. Our natural internal clock demands the time to rest. We must cease labor once every seven days and rest our bodies for longer periods than on, on other days in order to catch up and stay in that rhythm. God knew that a long time ago. We need Rest, and we need to be deliberate and intentional about this. Eugene Peterson uh, makes an interesting observation. In Hebrew culture, in the Jewish culture, the day begins at sunset, not sunrise. And, And the thinking kind of behind this is that when the day begins, I rest. I go to bed. I rest because God is still at work. And I begin my day from a posture of surrender and rest and let God do his work. And he does it much better than we do. And when I read that, I started praying each night as I went to bed because I, I, I have a trouble with sleep sometimes. And I just started praying, okay, God, I'm turning things over to you now. <laughs> 
I'm going to bed. I'm going to sleep. It's all in your hands. You, you can control it better than I can. And because it's in your hands, I can rest. And I'm just letting go. You got to be kind of intentional about this. And I learned this the hard way about six and a half years ago. I hit a wall like I'd never hit before, and it just wiped me out. I mean, so badly that, that my doctor said I need to take, it was an emergency six-week sabbatical, just six weeks off. And, and I went to the church board, and I, and I, and I told them, you know, I just, I'm, I'm dead inside. I'm just wiped out. I can't, I'm just, I'm exhausted. And my doctor says I need to take it, and I need to take it now. And so the board um, graciously um, said, well, if that's what you need, you know, Go for it. We'll, we'll, cover, we'll make sure things are covered. And they did. And so I had six weeks off. And the minute the board gave the approval, I went back to my doctor and I said, okay, I got the six weeks. Now what am I supposed to do? He says, you've missed the point. Nothing. This is not a project. You need to rest. And I learned that the hard way. And the problem was I was so anxious to get back. I probably didn't rest long enough. And so my recovery from all this has been way, way stretched out, far longer than it should be. But the idea is that, that you've got to find ways to rest. You've got to practice slowing. Here's some very, very practical ways you can do this. Make a trip to Home Depot. That will slow you down, guaranteed. But that's another story. Um, when, you get it, when, you, when you come up to the line, deliberately choose the longest line. Make yourself slow down. When you drive on the freeway, choose the slow lane and stay there. 55, okay? Just deliberately put slowing into your life. Um, Meyer Friedman says, you got to get creative on this. Here's one of his suggestions. He says, schedule appointments with non-existent people. Then when they don't show up, you'll have a whole hour of time all to yourself, (laughs) He said, you've got to be deliberate and intentional. See, because the Lord is my shepherd, I can choose a life of rest instead of this frantic activity and this pace that I run at. And when I choose rest, then I choose a life of reflection instead of noisy distraction. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters now the choice here the choice is to carve out time alone with god to spend some time in his presence interesting thing about sheep is they don't like turbulent water they don't like rushing streams they don't like it they don't like noise period they get really spooked they get nervous they get jittery they get irritated when there's a lot of noise and so when he says he leaves me beside quiet waters he knows what he's talking about and 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 in fact here's the thing Sheep will actually cut back on their intake of water if the only water to be found is running, rushing water. They will actually drink less. They dislike it so much. And the main responsibility of a shepherd, like 90% of his job, is simply to make sure that his sheep have good grazing pasture and ample still water. That's mostly his job. To find and lead his flock to good grazing land and to water. But to benefit from that, the sheep have to follow. And that's where they learn the shepherd's voice. Jesus said it this way. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them 
and they follow me. Now, a life filled with noise, a life filled with frantic activity, a life filled with, with hurry and, and movement and all of that stuff, all of that, all of that makes it very, very hard to hear God's voice. Anybody here been watching the World Cup at all? Have you heard those horns? The, the Vuvuzelas, Venezuela, I don't know what they're called, but they're, they're so irritating. You know, and, I, and I've noticed, because I started watching the first couple games, they were like really, really loud, and I've noticed they've kind of tried to turn down the volume. The producers have turned down the volume on the crowd noise because they're just so irritating. In fact, I was watching one of the games the other day. My wife walked in. It was the first game that she had seen. She sat down and she goes, what is that noise? And I said, oh, that's coming from the TV. There's these horns, and everybody blows them like all, all soccer match long. It is so irritating. But the thing is, you kind of get used to the irritation after a while. You just kind of tune it out until it stops, and you go, oh. When life is filled with that noise, when it's filled with that irritation, you don't even realize it. You just get used to it. And the thing is, it drowns out the voice of God and taking time to be alone with God. Not because it's a chore, not because it's going to earn me brownie points with him, but simply because I want to learn how to rest in him. I want to learn how to hear and recognize his voice. I want to follow his lead in my life. Why is that so necessary? Because the greatest commandment we are told is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the greatest, the first and greatest commandment. To love God and to love people. But see, when you, when, you, when you run at this hectic pace, when you live that hurried life, when it's filled with noise and frantic activity, you know what the first thing to go is? Relationships. The first thing to go is love. And yet that's the greatest commandment. That's the one thing. He says, if you don't do anything else, do this. And yet we so fill our lives with activity and noise and distractions and all this stuff that we are missing the greatest commandment. And what happens is we become irritated by the people around us. And our relationships with them go south. In fact, if you want a good measure of your life right now, your life with God... How are your personal relationships going? How do you relate to the people around you? Your mom, your dad, your kids, your wife, your husband, your co-workers. Because that's a pretty good indicator of what's going on in your heart. Choose a life of reflection, some time with God. And then I choose a life of connectedness instead of wandering. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. See, sheep are entirely dependent on a shepherd. A sheep on his own will die. Sheep need a shepherd. On their own, they are utterly defenseless. They have no way of of warding off attackers. They can't do it. They don't have sharp teeth. <laughs> you know, they don't make angry faces. <laughs> they can't do anything. They are totally helpless and defenseless. And not just the predators. Some of the, they're, they're a danger to themselves. <laughs> because of this propensity that sheep have to wander. See, sheep 
wander. Not necessarily deliberately as far as we can tell. They just slowly distance themselves from the shepherd, from the herd. Mostly by following their appetites. With their heads down, following the green grass in front of them, they just keep following and chasing their appetites. And they keep going and they keep going and realize they've wandered away. The prophet Isaiah said, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. There's something that happens to sheep. When they continue to pursue their appetite and they eat too much, um, and then they kind of tend to want to lay down. <clears throat> but if the, if, the, if the place they're laying down is maybe a hollow in the ground or, or maybe a little bit of a slope to it, they have this tendency to, to roll over on their back with their feet sticking up in the air, kicking and screaming, and they can't do anything about it. There's actually a term for it. It's called cast. When a sheep is cast, it has rolled over on its back. It cannot get back onto its legs. And if it is not rescued, it will die. Because what happens is all of that good green grass that they've been taking in, all of that that they've been eating, um, the gastric juices start to go to work. And when they're upside down, all of those, all of those gases begin to, to swell up. And they have no way of relieving it. And so they will die. They can possibly eat themselves to death. Literally. And if no one comes, because they can't, they, can't they can't save themselves. If no one finds them, if no one comes to their rescue, if no one writes them and brings them back, they will die. And if it's a hot day, it will only be a matter of hours. If it is a cold, wintry day, they might last a day or two, but they will die if nobody saves them. The choice here is to not wander, but to stay connected because sheep need a shepherd in fact sheep need a flock they don't do well on their own at all and as a pastor i will tell you because i have seen it over and over again people who just kind of slowly wander just don't hang around the flock much less and less more and more away and end up someplace they didn't think they'd end up. Now, they don't all die. They don't end up, all up, end up in dire circumstances, but they leave themselves disconnected from the herd. They leave themselves disconnected from the shepherd. And that's just not a good place nor a safe place to be. Jesus told the story about this, about a shepherd who had 100 sheep, and he counted them, and there were 99 of them were there, but one was missing. And he said in Luke 15, verse 4, Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go out after the lost sheep until he finds it? There's this all-out search that is launched and he doesn't stop until he finds it. That is the picture of a good shepherd. That is a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That is a shepherd who says, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter where you've gone or what you've done, I am going to never give up on you. I'm going to come and pursue you with my love. Then I'm going to keep coming after you until I find you and you come back. And in fact, it says when he does, when he finds it, he comes back rejoicing and he throws a party. And that is a picture. In fact, he says, and I tell you in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one that is found than the 99 that didn't need to be found. That's the good shepherd 
Warren Gill says, sometimes people ask, are sheep dumb? And he writes this. A sheep is precisely the correct amount, has correct, precisely, let me try this again. A sheep has precisely the correct amount of intelligence it needs to function as a sheep. <laughs> Deep, I know. But he says, he goes on, he says, sheep, a sheep can actually recognize an individual and carry that memory with them for up to two years. In other words, a sheep has just enough intelligence to recognize a good shepherd. You bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.